I'm going to ask everybody that's here today if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible app on the phone. And by the way, I may just run out there and make sure your Bible app on your phone is not Facebook. Just let me, you know, letting you know. But yes, your Bible app, go ahead and pull that out and pull up Esther chapter 6. And believe it or not, we're actually going to be reading from Esther chapter 6 and Esther chapter 7. And so please leave that up. Please leave that open. And we'll get to it in just a few moments. We're going to tell the story a little bit and focus on certain parts of the story. But that's from Esther chapter 6 and Esther chapter 7. You can get that open. All right. So today we are kind of drawing to the close of our time in Esther. I have loved this uh, particular sermon series. I just love any of the biographical uh, teaching series that we have. The ones that are usually pulled from Chuck Swindoll's books, The Great Lies from God's Word series. And if you haven't checked that out, you can. Those are even available in some ways on audiobook, uh, and those are available at the public library. So there's no reason not to be involved and not to grab those, but there is a book of Esther that you can borrow and listen, and you can find out exactly how much of the stuff I've been preaching and saying is my own versus Chuck Swindoll's. So check it out and read that. But these are the places that we've been. Last week we were, you know, talking about different things, but these were were our first four, talking about God's unseen providence all the way through Haman's hatred, the pride and prejudice that he has. And then last week, uh, we talked about Esther acts with divine dependence and how she was in a waiting room that she voluntarily put herself in. But today, we're going to be talking about the message entitled, From Silence to Center Stage. And uh, I believe it will be a blessing to you. This is kind of the culmination. There's more to learn and more to understand and historically understand the significance of these things that are happening in the book of Esther. But today, this is kind of the, one of the high points of the entire book. It's from silence to center stage, and I believe it will be a blessing to you. Now, let's just kind of go back and make sure, because I'm not so you know, foolish to think that, especially during the summertime, some people may or may not get here every week, and you may not even hear those things via podcast or via live stream or later on the live stream or whatever it might be. But whatever you have missed, I don't want you to miss the significance of what has been happening and how it plays into this passage from silence to center stage. So let's go to this next slide here. If you remember, a very, very, very important thing happened, and yet it seemed to go by unnoticed. And that's going to be very important that we talk about those things which happen and seem to be not important at all and then later come into play in a big way. If you remember in Esther chapter 2, verse 21 through 22, I'm kind of condensed this down. But during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's officials and officers guarded the doorway, and they became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Now let's keep going here. In this next part, and when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. Pretty violent, right? And so all of this was recorded in the books of the annals of the presence of the king. And then you see that I left in there chapter 3, verse 1. The reason I left that in is just to remind you that in the Old Testament or the New Testament, 
Those things were not divided up into chapters when they were originally written. They were just simply written. Some scrolls very short, some scrolls very, very large. Uh, you know, in the book of Esther, you've got 10 chapters, a very kind of small scroll compared to 66 uh, chapters in Isaiah and his prophecies. And so they were not divided that way until later. So this is significant. This is because you need to grasp and understand that just as it seems like we're turning a page from chapter to chapter, God's inspired word is not changing chapters. It's just simply the narrative says, this is what happened. It was recorded, but you would think the next words would be, after these events, King Xerxes honored Mordecai, but that's not what happened. Because Mordecai was the one who actually deserved it. He was the one who actually saved his life. But strangely, in the Old Testament here, it just goes straight into this is who saved him, and it was recorded, but then King Xerxes honored what we would say was the wrong guy, right? I mean, he just honored the wrong guy. But this is what happened. He elevated him, gave him a seat of higher honor than all of the other nobles. Basically, he's second in command in the entire Persian Empire. Mordecai got missed. Now, today is a good day for any of us who have ever done something good and it felt like we got missed. And you don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but we've all had that experience, haven't we? Where we were the ones that were deserving of the promotion, but we didn't get it. When we were the ones who were worthy of the praise and the pat on the back, but we didn't get it. When somebody saw this incredible effort and energy and all of the things that you've done, maybe even money that you spent, and they basically just on your text thread just gave you a thumbs up like, thanks. And you're like, that ain't near enough. You got missed. Mordecai got missed in chapter two. But here is what I'm here to tell you. This is so important. God never, hold on. I'm about to say something, and I want to hear a big amen at the end of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to let you behind the curtain. I'm about to say something I feel like should get a really, really big amen. So just get yourself ready. And if you're feeling it, get out there. God never, ever, ever forgets. Amen. Isn't that good? Even when we feel like we've been missed, God didn't miss it. God did not miss it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, it says, that he collects our tears in a little bottle, in a little vial. And in the old ancient times, the women who had husbands that went away for a long time, went away to war or something else, and they took them away, they would literally get vials and they would pour their tears into the vials and cork that and then show them at home when they finally got home and say, see, I cried tears for you because you were gone. And this is when God writes in the book of Psalms, I, you have collected my tears in a little bottle or in a little vial. He's telling you that God never ever misses anything that you do for him or for others or for the kingdom. God never ever forgets. And amen to that. And so the good news for you and for me is anything that we ever do, God is right there with us. Now, let's check this out. 
We understand that Hitler and Haman were basically, they were buddies. They were, soul, they were soulmates all throughout the years. As much as Hitler hated and wanted to exterminate the Jews, that's exactly what's going on with this characterization of Haman here from the, the, the movie called One Night for the King, from the King. Let's go to this next slide here. But Esther says, I know I've got an enemy. You have told me that today, now, right now is the time for me to step forward. But here's the problem. I haven't been in to see the king in 30 days. And if I go in there unsummoned, he can literally have me crucified or killed at that moment and spot. And so he says, but I'm going to pray, you pray. And Esther says, let's all pray together. We're going to fast together. And I'm going to go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. It's bravery and dignity and strength that is just so encouraging and so inspiring. This is Esther and who we have here. Okay, so let's keep going very quickly to this don't miss this. Esther doesn't know why Xerxes has decreed the annihilation of the Jewish nation. Maybe it's his beliefs. Maybe it's Haman's request. Maybe it's a little bit of both. As I said over the last two weeks, and I'm going to say again for the final time, Esther has put herself in the crosshairs twice. Once telling him that he would go, she would go before the king without being summoned. But the second time that she puts herself in the crosshairs is where she says to him, you know what, I'm going to declare to him that if he's putting the Jewish nation to death, then I'm being put to death too because I am a Jew. He doesn't know that. All he knows is that she won the beauty pageant from the people there in all of the provinces. She's the most beautiful, most attractive woman to him in the entire empire. But he knows nothing really about her heritage because Mordecai had her keep it quiet and keep it silent. So let's move on here. Then she goes before the king. The king says, yes, you can come in to my presence. And he says, give, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. And then later he says it again. What is your petition? You wouldn't have come before me had it not been a big deal. What is your request? Again, up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. And Esther says, I really want you to come to a banquet tomorrow. That's what I want. And so... This is where we leave the story and where we pick it up. But isn't it interesting that sometimes we need to be reminded that life is continuing to move on and the story isn't all the way told. Sometimes just one chapter to the next can be years or decades. And in this story, it's only one single night, but it is incredible how much happens over this one single 24-hour period. Let's check to this next slide Last we, last we knew, last we understood, Esther had asked for that second banquet on the next day. Haman had gotten so frustrated that he said, I'm going to go out and build a gallows. He builds a 75-foot pole that's seven, seven stories tall so he can impale Mordecai on it. King Xerxes still knows nothing of the Jews. King Xerxes still does not remember Mordecai and what he has done, and God's presence is still silent and unseen. Do you remember how I told you that Esther is the only book in the entire Bible that does not include God's name? So in many ways, God is the unseen person that is doing things and moving things in this situation. But don't miss this, and this is really important for us to not miss. It's right here. 
It's the only book of the Bible, but in Esther 6 and 7, God moves from silence to center stage. All right, so I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, to stand with me, grab that iPhone, and I'm going to read Esther chapter 6, and then I'll let you sit down. I'll be standing for the rest of the message. Come on now. Y'all can stand for just a little longer. Okay, so that night the king could not sleep, and they did not have Ambien. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, which may have been the equivalent, is the record of his reign, and he brought that in and had it read to him. And it was found recorded here that Mordecai had exposed these two officers and officials, Bigthana and Tiresh, who had guarded the doorway and had conspired to assassinate him. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing's been done for him, his attendants answered. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he had set up for him. I've already got the gallows. All I got to do is get the go ahead. And God shows up through insomnia and through a reminder of the fact that he has missed an opportunity to be a blessing to the man that deserved it. God never forgets. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should I do for the man that the king delights to honor? Haman thought to himself, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Because if you remember, he was the only one invited to the banquet. And so he was thinking, man, I'm right there. King, me, me, king, then Queen Esther. I mean, I'm neck and neck with these folks. I'm walking in high cotton. Well, he answered the king, for the man that king's delights to honor, have him bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has written, one with the royal crest placed on its head, and then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them robe the man that the king delights to honor, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, declaring before him, this is what to be done for the man that the king delights to honor." And then the king says, go at once, get the robe, get the horse, do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, bum, 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 who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. You guys, okay, yes, I did put that little trumpet sound in the middle. That was my thing, yes. But I mean, this is straight up out of the movies, isn't it? Oh, man. Isn't this great? Don't you wish that every enemy of ours got this kind of treatment from God? Haman had a special place in God's heart because he was out for the whole entire kingdom of the Jews. But it is crazy, the crow that this man has to eat. So go at once, do this for all of these things for Mordecai. So Haman got the robes, got the horse, he rode Mordecai, led him on horseback throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what to be done for the man that the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief, and he told Zeresh, his wife, and all of his friends everything that had just happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Thanks a lot, honey. Appreciate the encouragement. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried And Haman was taken away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. You can be seated. All right. 
So that's chapter six. Chapter seven's coming in just a minute. All right. So where are we? This is so important. <laughs> this, this crown and book is just the, like a symbolic thing. He was dealing with insomnia and he thinks to himself, what could put me to sleep? I know some person droning on and on, you know, from this book of this ancient history and even my reign, but let's just hear about it and it'll just drift me off to sleep. And then we realize that he sits up and he's like, hold on just a second. What did we ever do for the guy who basically just saved my life? And one of his attendants is right there and he goes, you didn't do anything for him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you realize that you should have been a whole lot more grateful and then you have an opportunity. That's where character is revealed. That's where character is revealed, where you get the opportunity to say, you know what? I missed it and I didn't do it right, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. It should have been done six months ago. It should have been done three years ago, but today I want to right the wrong. And so he comes and he says, you know what? I've got a great idea. Wait, wait, wait. I hear somebody in the court. Have that person come in. Who is that? It's Haman, who is mortal enemies with Mordecai. So let's go to this next slide here very quickly. And I'm just going to kind of read through this. Go at once, the king commands. Get the robe, get the horse, all these things, and do it for the person, Mordecai the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. And so he got the robes. He did all of those things. And you go to this next slide here uh, and the next one. It says, this is what is done for the man that the king delights to honor. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. Finally, the rights are wrong. Three chapter, chapter 3, verse 1 is now no longer Haman's domain. It is Mordecai's, and God has not forgotten. Let's go to this next slide as we look. And this is the big idea. History is his story. God always moves from silence to center stage. He's unlisted, unwritten, unmentioned in Esther. But if you can't see his fingerprints in chapter 6, what I just read, man, you don't know my God. He is just that way. He's got poetic justice. He's got irony down to a T. He knows exactly how to take revenge on those who hate him and who are against him. He knows exactly how to promote those who are for him and doing things for his kingdom. God knows what he's doing. And even when he seems absent, even when he seems silent, he always moves from silence to center stage. Now, can we be honest? I am grateful that God always moves from silence to center stage. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. But I just wish he'd do it sooner. Can I get an amen on that too? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Because you know when would have been cool for God to do it? Earlier. <laughs> before I was panicked. Before I had a nervous breakdown. But see, this is the thing. God is not in a hurry. And God is not on our timetable. And as a matter of fact, God is not on any timetable but his own. And do you notice that we set our time according to the things that he set in the heavens? Like we change calendar years when the sun, I mean, the earth circles around the sun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Almost did the dark ages there with you for a moment. No, you know what I'm saying. The earth makes its travel. That's why we have leap year. Because it's literally one quarter of a day. 
And so the fourth time around the sun, we throw in an extra year. Do you see what I'm saying? We set our timeline according to God's. But now, in our modern world, we seem to demand that God get on our timeline or he's not God. Yeah, God's like, okay, well, whatever. (laughs) I'm going to do the things that I do. And the way that I do them on the timeline, I choose not be dictated to. Because I don't know about you, but the more I get aged, the more I age like a fine wine. (laughs) Here's the truth. I realize the things that I used to think, I don't really think anymore. The things that I used to have as priorities maybe are a little less priority than they used to be. I figured out that I was pretty demanding and that the things that I demand of God and others are not always fair. They're very self-centered and they're not really for the right reasons or purposes. I'm kind of embarrassed about the way that I was and the way that I'm trying to leave behind. I'm sure it's just me. I'm sure it's just me. None of y'all can identify. But here is the deal. History is his story, not mine. History is his story, not yours. He's going to be God. We're going to be the ones who love him. And our greatness is charted and, and felt because we are close with him, not because we figured out a way to try to make him get on our little bitty person agenda. You understand what I'm saying? God is God. And he transcends time. Let's, let's say this, and then we're going to move on very quickly, but... Can you guys say out loud with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. History is his story. God always moves from silence to center stage. It's just a question of when. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of when. Let's go to this next slide. God's transcendence. That's what theologians call it. Exists outside of time and space. I had a very, very wise man tell me back when I was a youth pastor and I was in my early 20s. I was a youth pastor in my early 20s, and I had a man who was almost 90 years old that was a close friend of mine. His name is Walt Dan. Your brother Walt is now in the presence of God. And uh, one day we'll be reconnected, and I'll remember with him in heaven the time that he told me these words. He told me, Randy, the longer I've lived, the more I realize that God's timing is seldom early, but it's never late. Isn't that good? I mean, and so for you, if you're waiting in that waiting room like we talked about, God's timing is seldom early. Don't, don't expect him to show up early, but don't ever forget he will show up. He always does. All right, so let's go on this next slide here. And what a difference just one short amount of time can make, just one 24-hour period. What about the time when Joseph was in prison? He'd come second in command almost overnight, literally. He's taken from the prison, taken to a place where he can shave and wash his clothes, and then goes into the, pri- uh, the presence of Pharaoh and tells him what the dream is, and he's made second in command in the entire land of Egypt in one 24-hour period. Or what about Moses, who's watching sheep and has been there for years, and suddenly in the distance, he sees a burning bush that is not consumed. He goes over and speaks to the bush, hears out of that bush, and says, take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Everything changes in that 24-hour period, just that one-hour period. What about the 400 silent years from Malachi in the Old Testament to the things that are going on in Luke chapter 1? It's 400 to 430 years, and then God moves from silent 
to center stage and nothing is the same? Or what about Good Friday and Easter Sunday? Just a handful of hours and everything changes. It is called Good Friday because Easter Sunday came. You guys understand? And so it's important that we grasp that God always moves from silence to center stage. It's just a question of when. And so very quickly, let's remember this and don't be confused. In the second Peter, this A and B here, we're going to go through it. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And then listen to this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. This is where we often end. I've ended here. But I want you to hear this next slide and check this out. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, just when we least expect it, God will be taking from silence to center stage. The heavens are going to disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That means that someday God will come back to the earth that he created. And we had best be ready because in that moment, there will not be time for us to say, God, forgive me. There will not be time for us to say, God, I want to live a different life. Can you give me a little more time? Oh, yeah, cool. I'll just come back here when it's a little more convenient for you. No, no. When God says he's done with this world and all the problems, he's done. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. And when it happens, we had best be ready. And so very quickly, just in the way that everything changes... For Mordecai, the way that everything changes for those others, this is how it's going to be for us. And I say that history is his story. It's only a matter of time before God moves from silence to center stage. Now, can I just ask you a quick question? Is that good news or bad news for you? Because it's really important that we grasp That from the moment that God takes silence and pushes it aside and takes center stage, there we will be in front of him. So the question for us is, is that good news? Or does that put a little bit of a pit in your stomach? Like, man, I sure hope he doesn't come when I'm doing that. Or when I'm there. Or when I'm not in the right headspace because I'm doing these other things rather than living like I should. Because the truth is, is that when that happens, we want to make sure that we're ready. That day of the Lord is going to come like a thief out of nowhere. And for us, it should be good news rather than scary things going on in our hearts. Mordecai is finally offered, uh, finally honored, excuse me, And let's just go here because the story is not yet over. Yes, Mordecai is honored, but there's still hanging over a a, a worrisome law that is on the books that is already declared and decreed for all of the Jews a day when they will be annihilated and they will be no more as a nation. This is what Esther is going to rise up and do her part against. And let's be very clear about something. The Bible is not clear about something. Does Mordecai and him being honored, does Esther know it? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. 
It's pretty clear that things are going on outside the king's gate that Esther is not fully aware of. This entire book is pretty clear about that. So we don't know if Esther senses God's moving. I can feel it. That thing doesn't happen without God having his fingerprints on it. But I don't know if that's happening, if Esther's spirit is like surging within her. She's getting chills all the way up and down her spine like, he's coming through, I can see it. Or if she has to enter to the king's presence and go, I don't know if God's moving, but I've got to step out. I've got to do this. We don't know. But isn't it interesting? I mean, I've been there. I've been there. I'll tell you a story one day, not today because I don't have enough time, but I'll tell you a story one day when we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God provided our house for us here in Sugarland. It was the pit of disappointment. It was frustration on a grand scale between Shelly and I, which was not happening. And then they were just saying, but you know what? We've got a brand new house that came on the market today. And Shelly, God's at work. That's our house. I have no idea what he's about to say, but I'm telling you, he's about to tell us where we live. We live on that same street, that same house. You know it, I know it. We, the, the story's so cool. I'd love to share. I don't have time, but I'm here to tell you the moment that, that Shelly sensed that God was moving, she was like, it's happening. And there's this anticipation of, oh my gosh, this is awesome. God, who seemed to be silent, suddenly just took center stage. Now, I know I don't want to be this shallow. I, I know I'm the only one who is this shallow. But this is not exactly Esther saving an entire nation. This is more like, let's just live in a nice house, okay? But here's the thing. God cares about everything, doesn't he? He cares about all these things. And I would just say also, too, I see three people who live on my street here today. May God bless you guys, because y'all are such a blessing to me, to my wife, and I love you guys. Y'all know that. I've told y'all before, but you are a part of this church, part of building this church, and all the things God provided for more than just a house for us. He's provided friends, and he's provided fellow church members. So God bless you guys, and thank y'all for being an answer to our prayers. All right. <gasps> Moving on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read chapter 7. And then we're going to come to a quick and, you know, draw it to a conclusion. So the king and Haman went out to Esther's banquet. He's already been parading Haman around. And now the queen, her banquet is happening. He ain't exactly feeling like he's ready to party. Not today. Not right now. But he has to go because the queen's expecting him. And as they're drinking wine on that second day, the king again asks, Queen Esther, what's your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it's going to be granted. And then Queen Esther says, If I found favor with you, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is what I want. I want you to save my life. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we'd merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept this quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? The man who has dared to put your life in danger. The man who has dared to do such a thing. And then this is, get ready for my bomb, bomb, bomb. Esther says, an adversary 
an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman is terrified. He's like, what? You're a Jew? <laughs> this ain't good. So, bum, bum, bum. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, went out into the palace garden. He's going to clear his head. But Haman, realizing that the king is already deciding his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to that banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. Okay, so get this. Esther's reclining because back in those days when you were eating, you did so reclining more so than sitting up at a table. So Esther's kicking back on a couch and Haman's like, but please, 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 you can't do it. And then he trips somehow and he falls and he falls on top of Queen Esther. At that moment, the king walks in and he's like, would you even molest the queen while I'm standing right here? He's like, come on, bro. You've got to be kidding me. And so he grabs him. He says, get him. They grab him. And somebody speaks up and goes, hey, by the way, just in case you're interested, there's a 75-foot pole that Haman had erected that he put up for, for Mordecai, that guy that saved your life. Just in case you're interested. And, and King's like, cool, we've already got something. Impale the man on it. And then his fury subsides. That's the New Texas version. You guys with me? That's what happens. Esther just saved her entire people and the man who wanted to do them in with this Hitler-esque rage and problem that he's got, he's all done that quickly. He went from being the guy who said, who would the king rather honor than me to being the guy who was impaled on a 75-foot pole that he created for a man he had to parade around the city and honor. Tell me that God didn't move from silence to center stage. And he put everything right like that. God doing God kind of things. And God doing things that only God can do. So awesome. All right, very quickly, I want to just point this out to you. Let's just go to this next slide. Remember that the laws of the Medes and the Persians were laws that couldn't be changed. And notice that Esther doesn't have every answer as to how to overcome the law, but she asks it anyway. Can I share something with you? If you've got to have every answer before you move in faith, then you will never move in faith. Because there will always be another question. And even when God is giving you overwhelming evidence that he's working for you, you and I still sometimes go, well, well God, there's still that one thing. <laughs> so I just won't. This says more about you than about God's power. The truth of the matter is, is that we have to live on purpose and not for our self-preservation. We've talked about this. I've mentioned this. This is the third week in a row. So don't miss it. Make sure you hear it. Because for most of us, we act in the thing that will make me happy right here, right now in this very moment and instance. Not the things that live on purpose. And so just talk about that. What do I want to do versus what should I do? This what makes me happy right here and right now or what makes me proud of the person that I am long term. You see the difference, don't you? Because most of us, we make the poor decisions by answering these preservation questions. We're not even asking the purpose questions at all. 
But if we will, we become people that are more like what God would have us to be and the kind of person that we are more proud to be. And that's so important. Now, we quickly forget something, and I want to just mention, we've talked about this before. Things rarely change in one single moment. But when things are believed to be unrelated, come together in unforeseen ways, all of these things have been set up. And then in that moment, God just goes, okay, all of these things, and there it is. Now, God doesn't say, I just put that in there. So important that we grasp that history is his story. If you think he's going to stay off stage forever, you're wrong. Be ready to be the supporting actor and let the star take the stage. (laughs) I mean, let the star take the stage and just support as that supporting actor is so important. All right, very quickly, here's the I apply by that we're going to talk about. We need to examine those emotions that I talked about. Does the phrase God will move from silence to center stage, does that make you nervous or does that make you excited? If it doesn't make you excited, just understand that I'm not just talking about things that happened in the Old Testament and the Old Testament times. These things still happen today. Let's not lose sight that God is still at work and history is still his story. And he will have his way. It is so important that we realize it and remember it. All right, so the king has taken things and put it all back to right. Mordecai is finally honored And we'll hear more about his honoring next week. So be here as we wrap up this story. Esther is remembered. And we'll hear more about how she is remembered in history next week as we talk about Esther's lasting legacy. But here's what I want to share with you. You may be thinking to yourself, Randy, this is great. This is cool. Very interesting story that happened in 475 B.C. It's 2021 today. These things just don't happen the way that they used to in old times, in our modern times. They're just different. Well, I'm glad I pretended you said that because I don't agree. Now, I don't know. It's a funny thing when you realize that some of the people you're talking to do not know the things that you know because they just haven't lived as long. I'm getting older. (laughs) I mean, a lot older. It feels every single year that passes, it feels like I'm like doing three or four times older than I used to be. So maybe you don't really know much about this, but I want to go to this next slide. Do, don't, don't, don't yell it out just quite yet. Okay. Don't yell it out. But how many of you know what this is? Okay. Just a handful of you. Most of you have a little bit of gray on your hair, which I like. I think that's a very cool thing. Um, This is called the Berlin Wall. Any of you heard of the Berlin Wall before? Okay, a few more. For some of you, you have not. Well, it happened a number of years ago. And it happened actually, and it was kind of an aftermath of World War II and a few other things and the Iron Curtain that went up around Russia. But let me just kind of share with you this next slide. This is from thoughtco.com, okay? And so very quickly, let's go to this next slide. But I want to read from that thoughtco uh, thing very quickly. And I want to read it 
word for word. But you can see here, there used to be East Germany and West Germany. There used to be East Berlin and West Berlin. And the city was divided up into those that were communist and with Russia and those that were free and with the West, so to speak. So East Germany was kind of part of what they called the Iron Curtain back in the day. But listen to this. This is so interesting, the way that things happen in such a short amount of time. Erected in the dead of night on August 13th, 1961, the Berlin Wall was a physical division between West Berlin and East Germany. The purpose was to keep disaffected East Germans from fleeing to the West. You see, back in the time... And even back into the 80s, when I was growing up, if you were a person who wanted to flee a communist country, you didn't get to do that. We got a little something going on in Cuba, even right now. And so if you begin to look at this and see this, they literally put a wall, and you can see it on the map, where it divided East Germany and East Berlin and West Germany and West Berlin, and those who lived on the west side were free, and those who lived on the east side lived under communist rule. And it erected overnight. It changed overnight. And that wall stood for decades, as a matter of fact. But then, in the 1980s, the West Berlin Wall fell on November 9th, 1989, and its destruction was nearly as instantaneous as its creation. For 28 years, the Berlin Wall had been a symbol of the Cold War and the Iron Curtain between Soviet-led communism and the democracies of the West. When it fell, the event was celebrated around the world, and you may have even heard the words of our then-president, Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, you, you guys know, tear down that wall. It happened like that. History is his story. It's not yours, not mine. It's his story. And when he says enough, enough is going to be, it's done. When he says, Haman, you've gone too far and now you've had a chance, but you've not repented. You've not repealed. Now your day of reckoning is here. And when he nudges the king and says, no, 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 don't go to sleep. Get those chronicles of your reign out and read those things. It's God moving from the unspoken and the silent to the one who is the star of the show at center stage. It's God doing God things. And I don't know about you, but man, I'm glad I'm on the right side of the one who transcends time who adjusts everything in human history to his plan rather than mine. All I have to do is be patient. All I have to do is remember that I need to get on his plan, not find a way for him to bless mine. Can I share that with you one more time? I don't need to find a way to get God on my plan. I need to get on his. So today, I think for all of us, what we have to ask ourselves is, are we on God's plan or are we trying to get him on ours? And if it's backwards, today's our day. Because when this body is gone, God will still remain. And God will still be God. And whether I believe or not does not change anything about God. 
God is the star, and God always moves from silence to center stage. Heavenly Father, as we see what you have done in the Old Testament book, in this powerful reminder of what you do, your own counsel, God, continues to stand and you change worlds, you change nations, you change kings, you change everything, even overnight if that's what you choose to do. But God, it is all according to your plan. And where we have thought it is more about us than it is about you, may we be reminded how powerful and how amazing you are and how small and feeble we are. And Lord, instead of that making us cower in the corner, we become stronger, more confident people because we know it's not about us, it is about you. And may you, God, be glorified through all of our lives in everything we say and do. May you, God, be the star of the show and may you always take center stage in our lives.